Hi there and welcome to Inside Rugby League, the podcast brought to you by the Yorkshire Evening Post. I'm Richard Byram and joining me on the line again this week is my colleague Peter Smith. Peter's the Yorkshire Evening Post's chief rugby league writer and a few bits going on off the field this week, Peter, starting with a possible couple of law changes to the game when it does come back. Yeah, hi Rich, that's um, that's probably been the big news of the week, although it's all recommendations and proposals at the moment. Um, the, the big one for this season is the recommendation that scrums are uh, removed from the game for yeah. the rest of the 2020 season. That's on health grounds. The other recommendations are, are to bring Super League or the game in this part of the world in line with the NRL. Um, they've introduced a new six-to-go rule for infringements around the rook so rather than stopping play and blowing for a penalty referees just signal the, a restart of the tackle count which keeps the game flowing and they've got various um, rules around scrums which have been amended this year if the ball is kicked straight into touch um, out on the full now or if it hits a, a referee or um, a trainer it's a handover now rather than a scrum so that's obviously reducing the number of of scrums in the game Um, generally what happens in the NRL happens over here um, sooner rather than later so it'll be interesting to see what um, approach the British game takes the the laws committee which is made up of people like coaches and administrators and there's media representatives on there as well, representatives of player, the Players' Union, people like that, have recommended that these um, adjustments to the rules are brought in by Super League. So the two questions really, whether they'll do it for this season um, or whether they'll wait until, um, until next year to introduce them. The NRL have changed some of their rules have brought the, the six to go rule in since the COVID-19 shutdown but they only played two games before the, the layoff whereas Super League's next round the next round to be completed will be round eight so that's um, that's over a quarter of the way through the season so there's obviously that to be taken into consideration yeah. to my mind if you're going to do it wait until the start of a new season Um the thing with the scrums is is for, as I was mentioned, for health reasons. Um, the the worry is that if, say, a hooker or a, a prop from from one team tested positive after a match, then everybody packed down with would have to um, go into isolation. My view on that is obviously got to do anything possible to protect the, the health and safety and well-being of players and everybody around them. But either it's safe to come back and play the game or it's not. Um, it, in a game like rugby league, just, just altering one rule doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me. Um, obviously, players are going to be making tackles throughout a game. There's going to be physical contact all the time. So either it's safe to bring that back or it's not. I'm not sure how adjusting the rules really can can improve the the safety of players. You might as well make it touch and pass. Yeah. Really. Well, I, if it's on health grounds, I can see that obviously they're, they're going to do that. But um, it, it just 
seems a little bit strange to me. It does because, um, I mean, as a general view regarding the scrum in rugby league, it has just become really a means of restarting the game now that they are uncontested really, aren't they? The, the ball's just fed into the side of the team that are retaking or regaining possession and then the game is played from there and obviously it does give the game a slight break. But as you say, I mean, they were quoting statistics last week saying that uh, the number of contacts in one scrum was the equivalent of 132 contacts between individuals. And if there were 12 scrums in a game, uh, my maths isn't good enough off the top of my head, but it's quite a lot of contact during the game just from the scrum. But I'd agree with you if, if, for example, the hooker has got coronavirus, well, obviously you would hope that he hadn't gone to the pitch anyway because the pre, pre-match testing would have ruled that out. But if for some reason somebody does get through the net, then really and truly, if there's three or four people in a tackle and a position like hooker, as we know, get through a lot of tackles anyway, don't they? Then you're going to come into a lot of contact with player A during the game anyway. Um, So it just made me wonder if it was just a a way they were looking of getting rid of the scrum full stop and getting it through the back door by saying it's for health reasons this year, but then maybe we're happy with how it's gone. So we're never going to bring it back. Something I wouldn't want to see. I mean, I think despite its... I wouldn't say irrelevance, but despite its lack of influence on the game now, I still think it's important to be seen as part of the game of rugby, the scrum. It's still a a key indicator of the game, as you say. If you take away things like that, you might as well have 13-man touch and pass. Yeah, well, whether whether that's the intention or not, and there's been a big debate over scrums for for 30 years or or more, obviously people will be looking at how it it works. I... I wouldn't be in favour of getting rid of scrums. I, I don't really know anybody in the game who would be. It would fundamentally alter the sport, wouldn't it? Um, the, the people are saying, well, we should bring back contested scrums, but I don't agree with that either. That's a lost art. There's nobody in rugby league now playing the game who's played in the era of contested scrums. Um, and I'm not sure. I, I've been watching some... Um, matches from the sort of the seventies and early eighties during the lockdown, and they've been shown on on various YouTube channels or, or on TV or, or whatever. And the scrums to me look like a mess. Yeah, I'm not sure they were any better than. In fact, I think they look untidier than the ones do now. They certainly weren't any better. And the thing about a scrum is, it, as you say, it's a breaking it's a breaking play. It takes um, it takes six players on each side out of the game briefly. It, it allows set moves to come into play. Um, I wouldn't see it. Wouldn't want to see it. Um, it go all together. I still think there's room for for scrums in the game. Um, in terms of the contacts, that a coach I was speaking to today made an interesting point. He was saying, well, if if you have more play the balls, which you'll have under the six to go rule, and you take scrums out of the game, you get more play the balls that way, then there are going to be more contacts anyway. Yeah. So I'm I'm just not sure that that it is it is going to make the game safe. Um, we're not immunologists or medical people, are we? If they say that that's what needs to be done, then then that's obviously what what the game will do. But I'm just not I'm just not sure about it. Um, but yeah, I'm sure if 
if they do bring it in, then there will be people looking to see how it affects the game, how long the ball's in play, all that sort of stuff, whether score lines, um, the number of tries scored go up, whether there are blowout score lines, all that sort of stuff will be taken into consideration. And, and perhaps further down the line, somebody will be looking and saying, well, we don't need scrums anymore. But I'm not, that's not what the players want, as far as I'm aware. It's not what the coaches want. Um, I can't speak for, obviously, for all the fans who'd be interested, people out there listening to this, what, what your view is. Yeah. But I think you need some variety in the game, don't you? You don't want everybody to be built the same and to have the same physical attributes and, and everything. You you want variations in play and, and you want to have people like Paulie Paulie playing the game or, or Dave Fafita or, or your Rob Burrows, people like that who aren't all six foot two and, and 14 stone or what, or whatever. I, I, I just think if you take scrums out, it's going to be harder for the, for the big men. Um, you're probably going to need to increase the interchanges. Just, it's just not what I'd like to see the way I'd like to see the game go. No, I'd agree with you, Peter. You know, I think it's, it's an, still an essential part of the game. I think, as I said before, you know, it's part of the identity of of both codes. In fact, isn't it the scrum? It's yeah. a it's a it's a, a well known part of the game. And uh, the point someone was making last week, it might have been our colleague Dave Craven actually uh, from the Yorkshire Post, that uh, his main gripe with the modern scrum is that they quite often uh, swap players around to suit. You know, uh, maybe have a big man out of the scrum and put a you know a centre in for for certain yeah. moves and. I know Gareth Ellis as well at the weekend was saying that he was all in favour of changes to the rules as long as they improved the game, obviously. Um, and that the thing about the scrum was it did give people a break and um, he, he was worried that if they brought in, say, no scrums and six again, the last 20 minutes may turn into a blowout because everybody's exhausted because there are no natural breaks to give everyone a chance just to catch the breath and reorganise again. And uh, funnily, when I was looking for a picture for that particular column, um, the one I found an old one of Castleford with Zach Hardacre in at loose forward, um, mm. which kind of proved the point of, you know, he, he'd obviously been stuck in there for tactical reasons um, while somebody else was out in open play. Uh, so, you know, the, the interesting, you know, I don't, I don't oppose the six again as such. Uh, you know, I think again, keep the game flowing but we don't want to sort of see it where you know teams are exhausted in the last 20 minutes and it just becomes a bit of a farce uh, just for the sake of keeping the game flowing um, yeah in um, in the NRL it's been it's been brought in to, to eradicate some of the wrestle tactics which yeah. is obviously a big part of the game the, the NRL is very def- defence orientated uh, talking to Richard Agar, the Leeds coach, and he, his view on it is that he's not against the six to go rule, but he'd like to see it looked at more, really, than making a decision after two rounds of the NRL season. Let's maybe give it till the end of the year and see how it goes over there and, and see if it if it works and if it improves the game. He's also not sure that they have the same get problems in Super League as they do in, in the NRL. The, the wrestle isn't as big a factor in the game over here. I mean, obviously it's a factor, but it's not as big a factor. Yeah. And, and maybe you just don't need 
that sort of rule to come in here. So that's something else that um, that needs to be looked at. There seems there seems to be an obsession in in our game with speeding the game up, and I'm not not sure that you necessarily need to do that. The ball's in play plenty, and the game's got faster over the last couple of seasons. The the rules that were introduced around the, the shot clock really really helped. There's a lot less mucking about now at, at scrums. Um, the question is, do you need to take it any any further? That's what, what will, will have to be decided. I suspect it, it's going to happen because the NRL do it and we tend to follow what, what they do and it doesn't make an awful lot of sense to have different rules for different um, spheres of the game. You've got Super League, the NRL and, and the international game all operating under different rules, which obviously isn't ideal. No. So, but let's, like like Rich Hagar says, let's look at it first and make sure that, that if we do it, we're improving the game. Um, that's got to be the main consideration, I think. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, I think we both agree on that, that uh, change for change's sake isn't necessarily a good thing. And and as you say, probably argue the game's quick enough, there's enough contact and, uh, you know, hit out and hustle and bustle over the 80 minutes already, you know, and I say, I think if, if you step it up even more, then the quality in the longer term is likely to suffer. And so maybe see how it goes in Australia and, and then maybe look at adopting it for next season when uh, players have had a chance to fully get used to it. Yeah. Um, just heading on from there, Peter, let's see. Last week, so the uh, landmark 500 days to go until the next World Cup, uh, which obviously has been staged here in England. Um, some of the local towns and cities are, uh, in Yorkshire are hosting some of the teams uh, that are taking part in the competition. And the yeah. first game up at Newcastle, uh, spreading the word again. Yeah, it's, it's going to be an exciting tournament isn't it I've been really impressed with the way the organisation of it has run so far obviously we're, we're a long way from, from the real test which is when it all starts and the matches start but the promotion of it's been very good all the events have held around things like the draw and um, announcing the training bases have been very good it's a, it's a, there's a real professional feel about it which is very encouraging and I think there's a there's a nice blend of the traditional and, and the new with the tournament. We've got training bases in, in various um, places ac across the north of England, which is predominantly where the matches are going to be played, but also a little bit further afield. Um, and I like the way that the three tournaments are being integrated um, rather than treated as, as three separate events. The men's, the women's and the wheelchair are, are effectively one event and that's good like Leeds for example uh, uh, will be hosting the training bases for Jamaica and Ireland in the men's and for England PNG Brazil and Canada in the women's which is a really exciting prospect Liverpool and St Helens hosting Tonga and Italy in the men's teams London you've got four wheelchair teams down there obviously they're going to use the copper box for their matches England Australia Norway and Spain and Interestingly, you've got England and Australia both based in Manchester for the men's tournament. So that's that's going to be very interesting. Newcastle have got a team based there, which is Scotland in, in the men's. Um, 
York have got a very exciting lineup. They've got New Zealand for the men, which will be good for a city like York. Um, touring teams always visit York when they come over, obviously for the history and that sort sort of thing. Yes. Um, and the Kiwis are a good team to have based on your patch because they they get out and they 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 put themselves about in the community and they'll get stuck in and get involved with um, with local clubs and schools and stuff and they're 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 really good at the Kiwi tourists are, are excellent at um, promoting themselves and promoting the game and, and they'll be excellent and York have also got Australia New Zealand France and Cook Islands for the women's so the there's a spread of, of training bases the tournament's going to be have a, have a sort of a, a ownership um, element to it for, for various towns and cities across mainly the north of England and I, I, I just think it's a really exciting prospect obviously there's a little bit of concern about how COVID-19 is going to affect it or what will happen with this season and running into next year and all that sort of stuff but it is a it's an exciting prospect and um, something for, for fans to look forward to and, and especially after such a tough year this year it's going to be a great tournament yeah, that was one thing that struck me uh, last week. I think when it came down to the five hundred days, that the, already this tournament seems far more professionally organised, and people know what they're doing than previous ones in my experience that have been held here. Uh, and I'd agree with that. You know, there's a there's a feeling that everybody knows what they're doing and what they're building towards, and it was good to get that out. The fact that it is only five hundred days, which will pass very quickly. And also the number of teams, all because they are all competing at the same time, it gives it that more global feel, but also a bigger feel as well. You know, there's lots of different teams involved in lots of different towns and moving around and playing games in different places and so on. And it just gives it that much more professional global feel, doesn't it? You know, a big prestigious tournament uh, with the best in the world, you know, in the men's, women's and wheelchair game. Uh, all coming over to compete, and I saw a bit of that wheelchair rugby the other day, and that that's certainly not for the faint-hearted, is it? You know, this uh, chap's going to try, and he he basically flipped his chair right over to get, to get to it, and then crashed into the wall. Um, yeah, I I saw the clip. I've not actually seen any live wheelchair rugby league, but I've seen lots of clips and spoke speak to people about it on a regular basis, and and it's a development area. It's, it is good to watch, and it's something that. Is easy to understand, and it it's rugby league. Yes. they're in wheelchairs, but it is rugby league, and I th- I think that could that could really take off um, during the next World Cup. And look at the, the names of the teams you've got in there, like um, Norway and Spain, as I mentioned, based yes. in London. How fantastic is that? Norway and Spain playing rugby league, and um, we're talking about them playing rugby league, even though it's the wheelchair version. They are in the rugby league World Cup, and I think that's I think that's great. That's getting the right sort of message across to people out there who are who are skeptical about rugby league and think it's confined to the north of north of England show that the game does have a like you say a global approach and a global appeal and as well as that I think in the UK the I've done a couple of bits that yourself and Dave have written about the wheelchair rugby team and they seem to play all over the country um you know the, the Leeds Rhinos team I should say um they seem to be you know travel all over playing games as well 
So yeah, again, that's do, uh, spreading the word to areas, uh, you know, where rugby league hasn't maybe had a foundation before, or it hasn't. It's gone away again. So, you know, all part of spreading the gospel. Yeah, they they do. The the Rhinos' only game so far this year was in Wales, and the the grand final every year is staged in Kent. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's that's about as far as you can can get from the M62 corridor, isn't it? So that's a that's a good good thing. And saying it is a wheelchair rugby league is recognisably rugby league. You've got with the obviously the the modifications for the fact that people are in wheelchairs, but you've got similar rules and, and scoring systems and all that sort of thing. And um, and it's good to watch. It's easy to understand. I think it'll appeal to people, and I hope people get along and support it when they can. Yeah, I think the the general tournament as well. Uh, from well, speaking from the men's perspective, as we've discussed a few times on the podcast recently, you've got to think that maybe three or four teams have a chance of of going all the way and doing something, and maybe a surprise package like Papua New Guinea as well. I don't think that Australia's name is etched on the turn on the trophy before the tournament begins for a change. Uh, as we said. Tonga have, have certainly come on, haven't they? And hopefully, Sean Wayne and England can get their act together. And then New Zealand again, and I say teams like Papua New Guinea are, are always capable of causing an upset. So yeah. I think there's plenty to look forward to. You know, it's something you know, to get excited about. I know it's still a fair fair way off, but then again, it's not because of <laughs> the way time goes and the way that the seasons have been thrown out as well. You know, it'll, it'll soon arrive. Well, I'm not. I'm not sure about Papua New Guinea, but Tonga have obviously come on leaps and bounds. The Kiwis are, are, can match Australia in a one-off game. We'll have to see about England, won't we? Under a new coach and with a new approach, but hopefully we can get back to to matching the Aussies. Um, I've covered quite a, a number of these World Cups now and international tournaments. <laughs> the Aussies always seem to win them. Yeah. But wouldn't it be great if, if preferably England, but really anybody else? Yes. Would, I mean, the Australians are still the ones to beat. But we haven't seen that much of them recently. They've not played as many test matches, not played England for a while. It'll be interesting to see how, um, how they go. But a lot can happen between now and... Um, 2021, obviously the autumn of 2021, we're going to get some players who aren't in the frame now who will emerge and, and be a force in the World Cup. That's the exciting thing about it. You know, Harry Newman, for example, at Leeds, not not capped yet, but very, very highly rated. He's someone who, who maybe could be playing on the highest stage in um, in just less than 500 days' time. Very exciting prospect. Yeah, definitely. And it, as well, just looking back, it's 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 easy certainly for me to forget just how tight the last World Cup final was. I know probably with the disaster of the last Great Britain tour, um, seemed to knock Eng- uh, well Britain stroke England back a few steps. But it was only six nil in the final last time, and England had their chances, didn't they? So the Aussies aren't unbeatable, even though they always seem that that way. So let's hope that some other team can emerge from the pack this time. Because again, that would help spreading the word and of the game. Uh, just moving on from that, then Peter, a um, couple of bits of transfer news this week. Uh, Morgan Esker leaving 
Wigan, there was some kind of suggestion that that might speed up Niall Evelds' move to Castleford. Yeah, that's that's the speculation. Escaray, who had a spell on loan at Wakefield last year, has been released by Wigan. Salford apparently want him um, for this season. If they were to sign him, then Evolds then might be available to move to Castleford this year rather than next year. Castleford haven't announced the signing of him yet, but we all know he's going to Castleford. Yeah. Um, they've lost their incumbent fullback. Um, Jordan Rankin, who's returned home to Australia. So the, the pieces fit together quite nicely, really, to suggest that, that maybe when um, Super League resumes, Niall Evolds will be a Castlewood Tigers player, which is a very exciting, again, <laughs> yeah. an exciting prospect. He's a, he was joint second highest try scorer last year, quality player, and he's going to go very well in an attack minded team like Castlewood. And again, probably somebody. Perhaps looking to push his way into the into the England squad, into Sean Wayne's thoughts. No, oh, yeah, well, I'm sure he, he won't be he won't be too far off. Um, he's an England Knights player already, so he's he's part of the setup, and yeah, he'll be he'll certainly be aiming for 2021 at a club like um, Castleford. I think he's he's got a very decent chance of getting there. And one from out of our area, but which also caused us to uh, Luke Thompson going from St. Helens, the NRL, to the Canterbury Bulldogs. But uh, the Saints chairman, Eamon McManus, who's never shy at coming forward, saying that Thompson had refused to take a pay cut uh, with the rest of the squad during this coronavirus crisis. And so it was better to part company now than wait until the end of the season. Obviously a bit of bad feeling there. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Because it's been great for um, for St. Helens. Obviously, you don't know the, the ins and outs of the situation, but from his point of view, we'll be he'll be looking over at the NRL and seeing seeing them playing. And while he's sitting twiddling his thumbs, not allowed even to train yeah. over here. So why wouldn't he want to go to go early? And if if not taking a pay cut was a way of forcing that, then you know that's that's understandable from his point of view. Um, it is a shame, but it'll be good to see how he goes in, in the NRL. Their season's going to finish a long time before um, before ours does, so that's going to give him a longer pre-season, which will, which will help him for the World Cup next year. I can see plenty of positives out of it. It's a shame that we're losing our best players to the NRL, but he will develop as a, as a player over there, and um, let's hope he goes well, because we want the English players to go go down under to, to make a, a mark and to show the Australians that we have got some talent in our game. Yeah, he's, well, he certainly seems determined determined to go, didn't he? And I think, as you've mentioned several times in the past, the difference in the salary cap means that, unfortunately, the very best players from here can be tempted down under and there's not a great deal we can do about it. I think, in fairness to Thompson, he'd been at Saints all his career, hadn't he? And he'd, Probably won everything he could, I believe. Um, so you know, f- fresh change of scenery, as you say. They're playing down there now, so you might as well go and get on. And again, it it may benefit the England team. Um, just under five hundred days time. Let's hope. Yeah, well, there's certainly a lot of the England team that that are going to be playing in the World Cup. We'll be playing against the Aussies and the Tongans and the Kiwis on a week-to-week basis in the NRL and that that can only help really yeah 
And just finally this week, Peter, just a, a little bit of news which had a kind of funny and serious side to it um, with all the coronavirus issues that are still ongoing. Uh, Benji Marshall, the veteran NRL player who'd uh, had to go into isolation after he'd pecked a reporter on the cheek uh, before, before <laughs> a recent game. Um, seems that he, you know, obviously friends with the woman concerned and just giving her a traditional greeting and... Uh, Turns out then that they both had to isolate for seven days, oh. which, uh, you know, again, just kind of drives home just how dangerous this thing is. I think we were talking just before we came on air about the Australian player as well, whose son had been in a class with a teacher who'd had coronavirus and that had caused the game to be postponed in case the player had been exposed to the coronavirus via his child. So it's like one of those big packs of cards, isn't it, all on top of each other. All it needs is one tiny gust of wind and the whole lot comes down. And uh, Marshall, obviously, and the woman both went into, Michelle Bishop, she was called, they both went into isolation for seven days. And even though you think you might be clear, there's still always that risk. And that's something our players will have to look out for as well in when they do finally get back into training. I'm not suggesting they're all going to run around kissing each other, of course, uh, but, you know, the, the the contact and everything else, you just never know. Yeah, yeah, it's going to certainly... It's going to be different on a match day with no crowd there and, and players having to, to isolate and all that sort of stuff. But I will pledge that I won't be kissing any players <laughs> when, um, when the game comes back at them perfectly clear from well, I don't want any of them kissing me yeah. um, at the moment thank you some big six foot seven lead rhinos forward you haven't seen for a couple of months might be pleased getting older yeah well, it'll be nice it'll be nice to see them again I'm not saying I'm not saying it won't but um, I think we have to think of think of the wider picture don't we really we do indeed <laughs> And on that note, I think we'll wrap it up there for this week, Peter. Yeah, um, probably just as well. <laughs> yeah. Don't want to get a, either a bash on the nose or down a, end up in court with some legal action, so we'll leave it there for now. Um, but all, again, once again, thank you for all your comments, Peter, and hope everybody out there is still staying safe. And as we say each week, you can catch up with the very latest news either via my own Twitter handle, which is Richard Byram at YEP, or at Richard Byram YEP, should I say, or at Peter Smith YEP, or our website www.yorkshireeveningpost.co.uk for the very latest rugby league news and all things coronavirus related. Mm-hmm.